I still recall from the books I read All the great empires built in my head But every year I raise one more I poured it out and one dropped off But I'm, I'm still seeking thunder I'm still seeking thunder Hello and welcome to another woefully miscalculated episode of Seeking Tumnus, the podcast where we review young adult fiction books. To be fair, between 1666 and 1875, the brave young six-year-old chimney sweeps of London probably had a life expectancy of 14 years, so books like the one we've read in preparation for this episode probably fit the bill from a certain sooty, anachronistic, child-abusing point of view. My name is Laurie, and I'm joined by my fellow hosts, Keith Chimchimini Chimchimcharuro. Top of the morning to you. <laughs> oh, no, accents. <laughs> A spoonful of sugar, Brie. <laughs> <laughs> and Patrick, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious moon. I feel like we're starting on a really negative note tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it's that bad. What's happened to the mood in here? We need, like, lollies or something. Oh, Some I've had candies lollies. To, to give us a bit of a boost. I was very close to eating lollies for dinner. <laughs> you sound like a bit of a creeper, too, considering this is a kid's book episode. <laughs> this episode, we lure you in with the expectation of YA goodness and slap you in the face with When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit by Judith Kerr. <laughs> well, playtime is over, kids. It's a bit hard to spoil the plot of a semi-autobiographical tale about a young girl whose family flees Nazi Germany, but we'll discuss the plot in detail, so if this book was at the top of the pile of kids' books you wish to read in lieu of something good, then please put this episode aside until you're done and return to us for some commiseration from Laurie, at least. That said, let's get into it with a sample of page one. Thank you, Bree. Anna was walking home from school with Elspeth, a girl in her class. A lot of snow had fallen in Berlin that winter. It did not melt, so the street cleaners had swept it to the edge of the pavement, and there it had lain for weeks in sad, greying heaps. Now, in February, the snow had turned into slush and there were puddles everywhere. Anna and Elspeth skipped over them in their lace-up boots. They both wore thick coats and woolen caps which kept their ears warm, and Anna had a muffler as well. She was nine, but small for her age, and the ends of the muffler hung down almost to her knees. It also covered up her mouth and nose, so the only parts of her that showed were her green eyes and a tuft of dark hair. She'd been hurrying because she wanted to buy some crayons at the paper shop and it was nearly time for lunch. But now she was so out of breath that she was glad when Elspeth stopped to look at a large red poster. It's another picture of that man, said Elspeth. My little sister saw one yesterday and thought it was Charlie Chaplin. Anna looked at the staring eyes, the grim expression. She said, it's not a bit like Charlie Chaplin except for the moustache. They spelled out the name underneath the photograph. Adolf Hitler. He wants everybody to vote for him in the elections and then he's going to stop the Jews, said Elspeth. Do you think he's going to stop Rachel Lowenstein? Nobody can stop Rachel Lowenstein, said Anna. She's Forb captain. Perhaps he'll stop me. I'm Jewish too. Page one. 
Thank you, Bree. A fantastic reading there, Bree. Laurie, what did you think? Thanks. There's no doubt that Laurie loved that entrance. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like I can probably stand in for Laurie for this entire episode or just make sort of snide offhanded (laughs) remarks about how how miserable I've been. I've been hating my train ride for the past two weeks having to read this drivel. That first page made me relive the trauma, Brie. Two weeks, (laughs) ha! Try day and a half. (laughs) I feel like I need to update my privacy settings. (laughs) There's a thing about books, particularly when you're 30-something, working full-time and are parenting, that is very, very important. And that thing (laughs) is time. Time reading books are precious minutes that have to be balanced and weighed against other choices, like finishing off another quest in The Witcher 3, (laughs) or a little bit of water colouring, or slogging your way through some B-grade superhero TV show that is your guilty pleasure. I love reading. When did you take up watercolours? I feel like that's a gross (laughs) misdirection. When he got a five-year-old stepdaughter. (laughs) Ah, true, true, true. I'll send you some photos later. I'm actually quite keen. Can we do a watercolour cast? <laughs> we can. In fact, he's even taken up watching watercolour how-tos on YouTube. Have you become a Bob Ross aficionado? I have. Well, there's another guy. There's this Japanese guy that has a terrifying false grin in the intro video. <laughs> Just like rictus. But, but has some amazing, amazing watercolour tutorials. So I have done one of his and it turned out spectacularly. We'll be the judges of that. Yeah, well, please. Maybe everyone can be the judge of that. I'll, uh, I'll update the, uh, the blog. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And feel free to give me your watercolour do's and don'ts. Thank you. Now, I love reading, but I love many things, and reading doesn't always win. As I read these first infantile words, or heard them again now, <laughs> I began to genuinely wonder what Selenia Sardothian was up to. <laughs> oh, no. And I realised that in missing her, I was going to be wasting a hell of a lot of precious time in this book. Actually, probably only about 93 minutes worth. It's a hell of a lot of precious time. Keith? Yeah, look, I wasn't as critical as you, Laurie. I didn't mind it. It was okay. I was interested. Boom! Pat. (laughs) I don't have a story about watercolours or anything either, unfortunately. (laughs) I agree with Keith. I was a little bit worried, as you were, Laurie, when I read the first few words. I thought, ooh, this is probably aiming a little bit too low in the age bracket and probably in other categories as well from your perspective. But I didn't mind it. And I I, I think that maybe the setting saved a little bit. Like, straight out of the gate, we've got some good Hitler content. And Hitler content is really right up there with reading as far as my favourite things, whether it's video game, film wise, book wise, a Nazi reference immediately adds a little bit of excitement to any content. So I I wasn't immediately turned off as you were, and certainly nothing could make me miss Selena Sardothian, who I am happy to hand over to Brie in her entirety. (laughs) I'm counting down the days. 23rd of uh, October this year, when I'll be able to get the final instalment of that seven book series. For my part, I'll be hoping the world explodes sometime between now and then. (laughs) Pat, do you want to frame your Nazi excitement or you want to just leave it as that? (laughs) No, I'm just going to leave it out there as general Nazi excitement. (laughs) Hope I never have a career in politics. Uh, 
what did you think of the first page, Brie? I didn't expect it to be quite as young as it is. So it's probably for a higher, higher end primary school sort of novel, maybe I would have thought. But I still think that it's important for this type of content to be read when you are a teenager. What do you call that? Preteen. Transitioning. Toddler. Preteen, yes. So A tween? A tween, that's right. So if you're between those ages, I think this is a really important topic to be reading about. I don't know, Bree. Like, from Pat's perspective, that would have gotten in the way of a lot of Stephen King books. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that it's the same kind of political relevance, is it? No. No. I mean, if you want to learn about small-town Maine uh, politics, then... <laughs> Or really creepy clowns. There was actually very little about Maine at all in this book, which is probably one of the biggest criticisms there. Nary a clown. (laughs) Keith, where does the pink rabbit hole lead? Another horrific personal story from the Holocaust that will rip tears from our eyes? Another the book thief waiting to break us, teach us, and ultimately uplift us? Or something else? Hmm. Based on a true story From the writer who brought you the Out of the Hitler Time Trilogy Comes the first book in that trilogy When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit The story follows nine-year-old Anna, who has reliably been informed by her parents that she is Jewish, though they're not religious, which is beside the point, but still of interest. Along with her older brother, Max, she finds out that her papa has secretly departed Germany for Prague. Some context. The book is set in March 1933, and Papa, being a prominent author and theatre critic of Jewish heritage, is fearful that Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party will come to power at the upcoming election. Actually, I've undersold that. Papa is not just a prominent author, he's the mama effing culture pope. <laughs> Mutter ficken culture past. But don't worry, he hasn't left and jettisoned his family. He's on a reconnaissance mission to find the best location for them all to go. As you would expect, the culture pope very much has his finger on the political pulse of Germany, and in advance of the election, mama and papa decide that the family will silently depart Berlin to join him in Switzerland. With packing space at a premium, Anna is forced to make a traumatic decision. Should she bring trusty old faithful pink rabbit or the lustrous wonder of the new and unknown woolly dog? Here's where I step in to say, what the heck was Mama up to at this point? Or Heimpy or even Max, because gosh darn it, little Anna is just not properly equipped to make such an important decision. Tragically, Woolly McWaste of Space boards the train with them, down for Switzerland. <laughs> What follows is not a National Lampoons-esque romp through Europe, but rather a tale of a family's resilience in the face of persecution in their homeland. We follow them through village life in Switzerland to a cultural awakening in Paris, and finally onto their next destination, England. Their movements continually shadowed by reminders of the increasingly perilous state back in Germany. That was great. Thanks, Keith. That was more complicated than the book. (laughs) (laughs) I'll overstep my mark here a little bit. 
I'm also keen to read the next in the series. It's where the family falls out of favour with the local drug cartel and they have to relocate to the Missouri Ozarks. Should be a cracker. <laughs> I think there's a Netflix original series about that. <laughs> Apparently the next book is for older readers, so I wonder how much older it's intended for because it might be readable. <laughs> Bree, a book about children fleeing the horrors of the Holocaust doesn't strike me as your thing. Didn't I pick the book, Thief? No. (laughs) Who did pick the book, Thief? That was me. (laughs) Well, Bree tried to steal your thunder there. I've actually read quite a few (laughs) books. So Anne Frank, obviously, is one. Maybe we should have read that instead. Gosh. Anyway, we can read that in the future. I'll put that on the list. Is that young adult fiction? She writes it as a 12 to, what, 14 or 15-year-old. So, yes. But it's it's literally a diary, so the the fiction aspect doesn't really work. Have you ever read it? Uh, No, I haven't. Right, it's going on the list. (laughs) Is it fiction? No, it's a true story. It's Anne Frank's diary. And this is not young adult (laughs) (laughs) non-fiction. He's got you there, Bree. It's not young adult either, but anyway. (laughs) I mean, we're not... I'm still putting it on the list. I don't know if I feel comfortable reviewing the diary of a young girl in the whole (laughs) I hope that our listeners will now write in and tell you all how wrong you are and how much we should read it because it's a very important piece of writing. I was going to say literature. It is literature. And I had one of the most moving experiences of my young travel life when I was actually visiting the place where Anne Frank and her family hid. Anyway, that's beside the point. I chose this book on the recommendation of one of my favourite vegans and (laughs) Patrick's wonderful better half. And also, Judith Kerr is an author that I read as a child. She wrote The Tiger Who Came to Tea. It's one of my favourite children's books. And I now read the original copy that I had as a child to my kids as well. So this book came as a recommendation and I was very happy to jump on the bandwagon, particularly because I do quite like reading fiction from war times, especially Second World War. A fellow Nazi enthusiast. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, guys. If it's not starring BJ Blazkowicz, then I don't know how interested I am. A lot of things you can do with a hatchet and a Nazi. Anyway, we'll see. And in answer to your point, Laurie, about being unhappy about reading books because your time is precious, I will just remind you that I read Brog. (laughs) Next Well, I better get to what I think of it Going first, always a try Do you need to say what you think of it? I think (laughs) like we've probably got a a fairly clear picture here I'm dying to know Painted in beautiful watercolour (laughs) I probably don't, but I will at length here (laughs) (laughs) The Holocaust What a dreadful, shameful moment in history Such a horrid, unfathomably huge scar upon humanity Scar upon history. We've seen books, movies, plays, television, art of every medium produced by artists that have been affected firsthand or from the generational experience that has been passed down from those who've survived. Now, of the myriad art, some will likely move you to tears, some will make you laugh, and some will profoundly affect you and your understanding of the world for a lifetime. Sadly, some art, particularly a children's book that reads more like a boring holiday slideshow... (laughs) just isn't worth your time if you're an adult grown. (laughs) 
Anna and her real-life counterpart came so close to being another tragic victim in one of the blackest moments of time. And the what-ifs and the how-close and the narrow escape is something that must haunt a lot of people. But in this book, for me at least, it just wasn't enough to hold my interest when held up against all of the little vignettes that were vaguely interesting from a historical perspective but lacked humour or depth or drama or tension or any of the other things that make any tale interesting. There just wasn't anything there for me. I wonder if there might be something there for a 10-year-old who might glean the first bewildering view of yesteryear, of the clothes and behaviours that seem so strange now. The events are probably portrayed in a mild enough fashion not to scare a kid to death, but have them relate in a sort of a familial kind of way how terrible things were done, or almost done, to normal, everyday people and families like their own. In fact, in a quote about their forthcoming movie, the director says it's going to be the first quote, the first film about exodus, expulsion and exile in Nazi Germany that is suitable for children. Brackets to watch, unquote. I have vague recollections of other works like The Silver Sword, which might be intended for children around 13 or so. And even in my vague recollection, it seemed infinitely more consumable. It just wasn't for me. I wish I was 25, 26, 27 years younger, so I might have a better perspective, but as it was, it was just a bit of a trudge for me, which is a real shame, given how much I enjoyed Mog the Forgetful Cat. Pat? I disagree with you. I I enjoyed it probably much more than you did, although I, I recognise what you're saying. I, I guess the focus was very much from a child's perspective and it was written very much to be consumed by a child but I don't think it lacked a lot of the stuff that you're talking about because the the adult perspective was still there I guess in whispers and subtext of the various kinds of atrocities that are going on the worries and insecurities of the parents and the kids kind of bumble along obliviously to a large extent of the kind of stuff that's going on back in Germany but I still think there's a little bit of tension there because coming into it with the kind of knowledge that you have as an adult you you do see how close they are to disaster when they're sitting on the train fleeing Germany and there's this question hanging in the air as to whether their passports are going to be valid whether they're going to be allowed out of the country and the kids are just nattering away and being their usual pesty kind of selves but it's quite clear that the mother is stressed and anxious that they're going to be stopped at the border and sent back into Germany I I felt that I felt worried I felt a little bit anxious for them and for their futures and I I thought that carried on pretty nicely through the book through uh, their, their time in Switzerland and into France there continued to be these real adult problems that were in the background of the the daily minutiae of being a child, like going to school and learning a new language, which were the, the real meat of the problems that the kids were dealing with. And I, I got into it in that way. And definitely I was reading down and definitely it's not a book for people in their 30s uh, as, a, as a target audience. But I think there's still something there that they can enjoy. And it, it can't be really overstated how 
brief the book is, even though it can feel like a bit of a slog potentially for you, it, it is only a, a read of a couple of hours at most. And so in, in that context, I, I don't think it's really a waste of time. Uh, as with some of those these books of this nature, like, I, I don't know, Anne of Green Gables or whatever, I, f- I feel like the there can be a bit of a tendency towards optimism and a lack of the kind of grim side of of war and of fascist politics that made things like the book thief or good night mr tom maybe better examples or or more engaging examples as an older reader but i still think this hit the mark on a lot of levels where do you fall brie I agree with you. And I think for me, it's not just a story of escaping Germany. And I really liked that tension just like you did. But it's also a story of what it is to see or to not see the horrors of reality in real life when you are a child, that you you see different problems through your own sphere of experience. And I think that that's one of the beautiful things about this story is that Anna and her brother don't experience the war they clearly experience a change in their circumstance and they're very they're quite well off in Germany and then they become very poor when they move through Switzerland and into France and then again at the very end I presume it continues on into England but I think that that's a really important point to be made and sadly there's there's a lot of this sort of thing that happens now you you still experience gosh in the Middle East or in parts of Africa you've got all of these refugees who are fleeing and you sort of think well is this the sort of experience that they're having they're seeing the world through their prism not just as we would see it and observe it as adults and I liked the descriptions of life in the 30s because I think the important point is that this one is is set in the 30s this is before the war starts I kept thinking hang on a second but the French start collaborating and Paris is effectively besieged as well I sort of didn't put years together I quite liked seeing Paris in particular through the eyes of children I like your your point there that it's a a kind of refugee story because it is more a story about exodus about being a refugee or an exile than it is a war story and this book doesn't actually even come to the start of the war uh, Mm. as near as I can tell it is up to some point in the 30s and it's a different perspective in that way and it's quite a refreshing perspective in that way compared to a lot of the other World War II media that's kicking about out there. It's not without its glimpses at the atrocities that were occurring in Germany, but by and large it's about that difficulty of moving and being away from your home and the the change in your lifestyle and the change in your circumstances and things. And I I think it's good as a, a kind of a Western person in a country like Australia or the US or the UK or whatever to be able to read stuff like this and for me at at the beginning just thinking about what was going on in in Germany and the the kind of political climate there and reading about this sort of umming and ahhing and being on the fence should we leave the country what should we do and as the reader just being like yes holy crap like just get out like as soon as you can get out like so what if Mm. they take your passports just leave the country, who cares, do it, do it illegally if you have to, like, it doesn't matter. 
And that emotional reaction compared to the very dry discourse around being a refugee and around escaping despotism that that we have as members of these kinds of societies, it, it, there's a real disconnect, I think, because you never really mm. feel that. You never really appreciate that level of fear and drive and necessity to just move on and like get the fuck out yes. regardless of like the cost or the legality or yeah in in that sense i think this is a really important kind of read uh, for for kids for young people to, to kind of recognize and draw those parallels between the experience of white european people and the people that are contemporary refugees mm. Mm. it gives an individual story to something that they may have a concept of but they can't relate to it whereas this gives them that avenue to relate to such a thing yeah add a little bit of emotion to what has become a passionless semantic debate how do you feel about the family's move i mean it's it's history so it's happened and so far as we know given that she's a famous author it turned out okay but how do you feel about their decision to leave switzerland which is famously neutral (laughs) Um, but they went to France initially and then at the end of the book they moved to England. Does that sort of fill you with a bit of dread? I was concerned about them moving to Paris knowing that they were moving closer to the war in in some respects but with the the gift of hindsight. Mm. Yeah, I think that touches on something that that Pat, you brought up earlier that even though this is the story told effectively through the eyes of this nine-year-old girl, you also see the motivations and the machinations of the parents behind the scenes. And it was obviously for her father's, the culture pope, for his career and his ability to provide for the family that they moved to Paris and then to England. So that was balanced against, of course, fleeing from the persecution in their homeland. But I think that was understandable and gives that extra layer that maybe makes this book not only applicable to children. The decision to leave Switzerland, I mean, Switzerland is famously neutral. So if you've got a country on your border that is famously killing people for their religion, how can you be neutral in that? How is that a debate? I think that's above my pay grade by a significant margin. Famously neutral, so you have no opinion? Oh, my goodness. Is neutrality the only way to survive? The Swiss, yes. Well, they were certainly surrounded. Right. (sighs) Mm. And the father is anything but neutral. Mm, So he wouldn't have been welcome there for long either. Well, he certainly wouldn't have been able to get any articles published. No. But it's interesting. I mean, this debate, it's not even a debate... Australia has closed its borders and the rest of the world was trying to do the same thing. I just, we are so very lucky. There are a lot of places where there's horrific things happening. My best friend in France this week, her son's friends and his family, so the four of them were actually forcibly removed from France and sent back to Kosovo. And the whole community is in absolute uproar that this family, which has escaped from Kosovo in modern day France and has integrated into the community and the kids go to school and spend time with them and they were handcuffed put on a plane and returned further east this sort of thing I just think how if I was a four-year-old would I see that seeing my parents being handcuffed and taken away in the 2000s how shit is that incredibly is the answer and I that's why this kind of education is something that I really think we should look at a little bit more than we do as as a fairly isolated country Mm. so I'm just going to put the hashtag on there hashtag souvent agim et blerta 
Sounds good. Keith. <laughs> I'll come in with my thoughts now, which may fly in contrast to the depth of that conversation. But this book was warm and pleasant, is my succinct summary. Well done. Move on. <laughs> Please don't. Go on. <laughs> I thought it was a perfect size for a book of this nature, being aimed at the audience that it is. And it did highlight, which is something Bree's touched on quite a bit, the resilience of children in the, in the context of things going on around the world. That definitely provides to me even, a mild degree of comfort. The semi-autobiographical nature of this was interesting when you weighed up against something that claims to be autobiographical, like my family and other animals. (laughs) (laughs) Gospel truth in that book. This, obviously being the semi-autobiographical tale, was much more believable and authentic feeling to me than my family and other animals. I'm not sure whether that's down to the more basic writing and the childlike perspective that's pervading The Pink Rabbit in contrast to Gerald Durrell's aggrandised tome where he just blags on and on about shit that he's made up <laughs> about his childhood. Ah, oh, well, I'd much rather be reading that than reading on about, you know, how this little girl wants to be famous and what she's wearing today. And... Oh, that's such a gross oversimplification mm. of this book. And such a tiny mm. part of the book. I, I want to be famous is, I guess, an aspiration after her father. And it's right. mentioned maybe at, at three points during the entire book. Mm. Yeah. And what am I wearing today is largely against the context of the depression and not being able to afford clothing. (laughs) Yeah, there was no puffy sleeves. Including underpants. (laughs) Yeah, look, some of Laurie's criticisms are fair, but I think maybe dialed down a few degrees from where he's coming at. Because it wasn't a mile a minute. For a book of the diminutive size that it was, it did drag in a few places. I had a favourite quote from the book. I'm not going to read it, but I did. (laughs) Mama, said Anna, you're squashing the camel. (laughs) No context? (laughs) Yeah, no context is best, I think, for that one. (laughs) The emblematic titular Pink Rabbit is little spoken of, and I was a little upset when it became apparent that Hitler's stealing of Pink Rabbit was figurative only. (laughs) On some level, I was hoping for a tale of crime and punishment that climaxed with Anna doling out lethal retribution to Hitler and his cohorts for the theft of the all-powerful bunny. So you kind of wanted a a BJ Blazkowicz type thing, like Laurie was alluding to, guns blazing, sort of taking down Hitler in in punishment for his transgressions upon Pink Rabbit. Exactly. There's a story to be told with that. Anna ignored the freezing cold around her as she lay in the snow. (laughs) Her sniper's rifle aimed at Hitler's head. (laughs) I would totally read that. (laughs) It may be less suitable for children in that case. She exhaled slowly and pulled... Although it was largely figurative, uh, Hitler did confiscate all their property. Well, the the party did confiscate Mm. all their property, including the Pink Rabbit. And I liked that uh, Max would talk about the snakes and ladders game that they'd had to leave at the home and how the Nazis were probably sitting around playing snakes (laughs) and ladders right now with their treasured board game set. There was a few moments like that where Anna learnt that there was a price on her father's head and she imagined it being coins literally dropped on his head which was another strength of the book the way that Judas Kerr was able to present things with that childlike understanding so yeah because of that this book was perfect for a nine or ten year old basically someone around Anna's age but like Pat I think it's still worthwhile for older readers because of the additional wisdom that she brought 
being older writing this book and understanding her parents' perspective a little more, even though we don't see them too often. They're obviously the framework for their movements around Europe, so we understand the reason behind those when you read between the lines a little. So I think, yeah, there's something in it for older readers as well. Yeah, I would have liked to have read exactly the same story written for a slightly older audience, I think. It's a bit hard to compare, I guess, because it's a totally different situation and a different author. But when I think about semi-autobiographical, or if you believe him, biographical, books like Roald Dahl's Boy, there's just something more about the writing. There's more to it. I feel that if you just aimed at a little bit higher, you could have had more of a... I don't know, an emotional impact or... But perhaps younger kids need this level of book, this type of book, to slowly introduce them to new concepts. Yes, exactly. And you can't go too dark either if you're shooting for a slightly younger market. I would 100% read this to my kids as as they grow up. It's that kind of book where I, I feel like it has a certain level of depth to it despite being pretty straightforward. And a lot of the concepts I don't think you necessarily understand unless you have a little bit of that maturity and background knowledge in the first place. And so I think it could be just a fairly nice story in some ways about moving through some difficult circumstances with your family and not having enough money for like nice clothes, but gradually finding success at school and that kind of thing as a younger person. And then as a, a slightly older teenager or an adult, beginning to see some of the the various pieces of, of subtext that really contribute to that overall picture of the war. And even that quote that uh, Keith was talking about, about squeezing the camel, was just a kind of funny moment until you kind of realise that the, the mother is extremely stressed mm. and under a huge amount of pressure and 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 sort of physically squeezing her her bag or or whatever as they're as they're traveling and in in the kids observations it's it's nothing and it's not really noted um they they make nothing of it and it's not mentioned further uh but as i guess you have that better understanding of the environment that they're in you see that these parents are under a huge amount of strain a huge amount of pressure and let's not forget the letters from the uncle back in germany which tragically were achingly sad right there is definitely some darker moments here it's not all muted yeah there's a a letter where he writes to Anna and wishes her well and speaks about uh, her father in in code I can't remember how he, he he calls the father Aunt Alice or something along those lines how's Aunt Alice going and tell her thank you for her good advice which I feel maybe I should have taken or something along those lines and the advice that Anna's father had given was that Uncle Julius should flee Nazi Germany but he had decided not to and he had decided to stay and I think that understated note about good advice that I should have taken was cripplingly sad as someone who who has consumed a lot of other literature around the war and seen a lot of movies around the war and just the resignation in in a line like that and knowing what is to come not necessarily for uncle julius personally but what is to come for people of jewish descent in germany and it didn't shy away from that but it didn't engage it directly and and head on and i guess it's probably a matter of preference as to 
what you would like to read or what you feel is suitable for your kids as to how you respond to that obliqueness of the whole thing. Well said. You said there was a movie coming out, Laurie? Yes, it's in pre-production now, I think, or in fact, the articles I was reading at revealing the director or the screenwriter and whatnot had talked about casting back in February or March, so it might already be in production now. I think it's either this year or next it'll be released. I'm pretty keen to see the movie. I will I will definitely catch it. Let's make sure we don't monster calls it, though. <laughs> I still haven't watched that. Neither have I, but I've got it to watch now. Uh, yeah, I haven't watched it either. If they put it on Netflix, I'll be right on it. I'm edging closer. I should also come in and say that Judith Kerr's father, Alfred Kerr, was actually referred to as the culture pope. That wasn't something I made up. <laughs> oh, I thought it was quite clever. I should have known better. <laughs> <laughs> Can't take credit for that. <laughs> Wish I could. <laughs> All right. Shall we uh, score this baby? Score it up. Okay. I'm going for a uh, somewhat disparate scoring scheme again. I'm aware my scoring is not the best scoring on the podcast. I have been reminded repeatedly that it's not the best scoring on the podcast, and I'm not going to correct that today because I did it about five minutes before. Who's been reminding you of that? (laughs) I can't remember, but some of you three. How rude. (laughs) Doesn't sound like something Bria or I would do. (laughs) Keith's clearly the only good one of the lot of us. But that's still very rude. Hey, Keith, it doesn't sound like you. <laughs> okay. Well, in in any case, I'm not going to make gains tonight. So, one, this book was a red-headed brat prone to throwing stones at girls to show that he likes them, uh, which is pretty much the worst kind of person you can be, basically. Absolute rubbish. Uh, two, Hitler. Three... Inoffensive, but possibly a bit forgettable, like the titular pink rabbit that didn't feature heavily. Can I just put a pause on it there? That you said a little boy who throws rocks at a girl is worse than Hitler. (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) That takes me back to putting context around your original statement, being excited by Nazis and cast a little more doubt. I just feel in the context of this story, that kid was probably the greatest villain. Was he though? (laughs) Anyway, four, Uncle Julius, well-intentioned, but potentially a little bit naive. Or five, Anna, inspiring and surviving through... I guess, uh, tribulations like the negative opinions of certain podcasters. (laughs) You've left out one of the villains of the story as well. Who Was she Austrian or Swiss? I can't remember. The girl that was there to help the family that was just miserable. Or like Greta. Oh, Greta. Yeah. And had made promises her mother not to do any of the work that she was there to do. Right. She wouldn't hurt her back and she wouldn't catch cold and so on and Mm. so forth. It was... Yeah, she was a bit of a pain, but I wouldn't say she was worse than Hitler. Maybe a maybe a three. The whole family hated her, though. They couldn't wait for her to leave. I couldn't wait for her to leave either, frankly. True, she didn't really add much. Sorry for coming in there. <laughs> I'll go first, if that's okay. 
Yeah, go for it. No, fuck off. As <laughs> <I've> done... <laughs> I mean, you, you, you have been uh, keen to proffer your opinion throughout this whole piece, Laurie. <laughs> what, where do you put it, Keith? Yeah, as I've done in the past, I'm going to score this for the target audience. So I'm going to give this an Uncle Julius. It's a four for me. I think that's fair for the, the target audience. And I uh, I probably agree with you on that. I, I think f- for me, probably hovering around a th- three, a pink rabbit, but but taking into account like who it's written for, the the constraints of the language and... And that kind of thing, I, I think it's for an Uncle Julius a four for me. What do you mean the constraints of the language? Well, the constraints of the language when you're writing for such a young audience, you can't you can't write the book thief and say it's for nine year olds. And I, mm. I, I feel like with the simplicity that was there, it, it did a, a pretty admirable job of well, conveying. I think you can still be poetic with simple language they were and they also weren't hitting each other with sticks so i agree it's a four <laughs> <were> using rocks <laughs> yeah i don't i don't think it was overly it was simplistic but it wasn't overly simplistic in in the way it was mm. written sorry Bree, you there were some really beautiful descriptions i kind of was hovering around a three to four as well but it's not forgettable which i think is what a three is i think it is something that you would read to kids and i think that's great I totally would, and my list of those types of books is pretty short. You know, it's probably The Hobbit and this and one or two others. But, oh, you know, The Hobbit? I oh. cannot finish that damn thing. Well, <laughs> I don't know. But you're you're getting more into fantasy, so maybe you're going to change your opinion at some point. Yeah, when was the last Ugh. time you tried? A decade ago. Yeah, it's time now that you've found your love of Selena Sardothian, it's time to... <laughs> Get back into the Hobbit and see where all this fantasy stuff really found traction in the 20th century. I thought that's what you guys told me The Wizard of Earthsea was for, but that was a fail. I like The Hobbit much more, but I guess it's a personal preference thing. And Laurie (laughs) deliberately circumnavigated the globe before coming to you because you were so eager to jump in. (laughs) But we shouldn't let him have the final say. Like I feel like that demeans the loveliness of this story no true thanks for listening keep reading (laughs) (laughs) while i appreciate that most of you in fact all of you have scored based on the intended audience well the original premise of this podcast was that we are visiting new books like contemporary young adult fiction to see if we get it and we're reading books that were either read by us as children or were something that we could have read of children and somehow missed and seeing whether or not we could still appreciate those books. And while, yes, I do appreciate that a young child might get some good value out of this book, I just didn't. I uh, agree with that and I'm normally rating from my perspective. Otherwise, I would be having to give the Twilights of the World five stars constantly for being popular. But that doesn't really change my score a great deal it still would be in that three to four range i think even purely from from my perspective i I did genuinely enjoy it Mm. it wasn't horrid i'll give it a two but (laughs) you give it a hitler that being said (laughs) i do not agree with scoring system let it go on the record (laughs) i think there's hope for the child with the rocks (laughs) 
I'm glad, I'm glad you pointed out the scoring system because it, I had very deliberately put Hitler as a two for like some kind of dialogue and it had gone without comment for a disturbingly long period of time before you said anything. Uh, what I was thinking at the time was, did he just say that? And then I was thinking, do I give out the social media contact details at the end of this episode or maybe I'll just conveniently forget? You did say it and then move on very quickly, Pat. I, well, I needed to transition from red-headed child to Hitler straight away just so that it was, you know, apparent that there was a, a hierarchy there if I dwelled too long on it. To be fair to this child that's been defined by the colour of his hair, they did give some context <laughs> and suggest that that was the norm in Switzerland for boys to do that. That was weird. Obviously is is not a good norm to have. Also, to, to be fair to me, the book defines him by the colour of his hair. He has a name, Patrick. <laughs> uh, well, that's great. What an abhorrent little practice, though. If it, totally. if it was the cultural norm, these boys were stalking her home and pelting her with rocks. It was absolutely repellent. And they were so easily defeated by the mother as well. I was cheering for the mother. She slapped the child. Honestly, you didn't have a problem with the sticks. You did not have a problem with the beating of the sticks and you're worried about a tiny little pebble. Are you defending this, Bree? There was a pack of them. No. I think it's a ridiculous cultural practice and I plan on asking my Swiss friend about this, but I don't know. <laughs> Do you throw rocks at people that you like? <laughs> the sticks were one-on-one and they were trained to use them and the boys that were getting a hiding were older and had been picking on that kid, almost drowning him for such a long period of time. I think the sticks were fair. But how interesting is it that for three countries that are so close in proximity that there are such significant cultural differences and I thought that was really nice to see that's nice and that's the underlying problems in Europe isn't it (laughs) all in one (laughs) well there's no problems now (laughs) (laughs) except for Kosovo that rock throwing thing is not distinct to Switzerland got some stories to tell Laurie (laughs) Tamworth. Tamworth in Switzerland. I'm sure boys here have pinched girls or kicked girls or verbally assaulted girls or something. Like, I'm talking little kids. Yeah, yeah. Because they want the attention and they don't know the best way to behave and maybe they've had poor role models and whatnot, but it's not unique. It's definitely a fairly common kind of thing. And there was an advertising campaign here not that long ago about it. Uh, I think it had a little boy doing something horrible to a girl hitting him with a stick or something i don't know and and the parents saying to the girl oh don't worry it's because he likes you and pointing out that that kind of language and that kind of excusing of violence against other people isn't really super cool no it's it's definitely not a problem unique to the swiss and i apologize to all the swiss that we have put offside for suggesting that they throw rocks at each other <laughs> Can I just point out that Brie faffs on a lot about this stick-beating book? From The Ranger's Apprentice is what she's talking about when some bullies get beaten up. Yeah, some really, really horrible bullies that had it coming. But that's another topic that you can go revisit our previous episode about. But she then went on and read the entire series of books, didn't you? I'm not an 11-year-old having to read about people beating each other with sticks. But you read on the rest of the series. Yes. Did you know that there's two new ones that have just come out? No, I won't be going back to it. I've moved on. Okay. Selena. What was the horse's name? Isn't one of the new ones about the horse? I don't know. I don't know either. 
<laughs> it's called Royal Apprentice now or something. The Royal Ranger. Honestly, if you guys have some like recommendations, I'd be quite keen to have them. I've read The Darkest Shade of Magic or something series recently. That was quite good. What else have I read, Laurie? Red Rising. That's good. You obviously haven't been taking up watercolours. I have been a little bit. She has a little bit. She's surprisingly good. <laughs> he keeps saying that to try and make me do more. Why the surprise? Considering neither of us as far as I'm aware, have picked up a watercolour brush since we were five years old. She immediately produced some fantastic landscape scene. Ugh, it's not true. Anyway. Moving on. These are all going up on the site. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us. Feel free to join the discussion about Nazis. Feel free to join the discussion, most likely about cream-filled biscuits, on our Facebook page, Twitter, or via email. Seekingtumnus at gmail.com. What have you got lined up for us next episode, Patrick? I am going to talk about The Buried Ark by James Bradley, which is the second book in the Change trilogy. We previously reviewed The Silent Invasion. And also Hive by A.J. Betts, which is another young adult book written by an Australian author. So a bit of an Australian overdose. Should be good. Uh, Also, I've been putting some reviews up of some of those things on the website. So have a look at our site where we have the episode information and also some bloggy bits and pieces at seekingtumnus.com. Fantastic. Thanks, Pat. Make sure you go check out those blog posts. They've been quite interesting so far, but look forward to the watercolours in the near future. (laughs) (laughs) Also, some finger painting by Laurie, hopefully. (laughs) I don't want to spoil it for listeners that are desperately eager to go check out the fantastic artworks, but there's been a bit of variety. There's been like a little bird and then a nature scene and then a werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) Until then, be kind to your refugees. Beyond many a man or woman with a strange accent trying to make a life in your country is a small kid trying to pass that next exam, trying to read wonderful books of wizards or stoops and trying to forget all the things in the dark that scared them, like the rest of us. Keep reading. Is that a mic drop at the end there? Did you not do your vocal warm-ups? I think we're good. <laughs> That's how the pros do it, kids. <laughs> Just two notes with some mars and wobs and you're all good. Taylor Swift. <laughs> She wrote The Tiger Who Came to Tea. It's one of my favourite children's books. And I now read the original copy that I had as a child to my kids as well. So, Did you say when the tiger came to tea? No, when the tiger came oh. to tea. Let me just go back and do some more mum, 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 <laughs> bop, 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 bop. <laughs>